Session with Dr. Farid Holaku. Good evening and welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Dolokwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. The shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Again, our studio number 3104410555. Uh, just a programming note, the last few weeks I haven't done a Wednesday show because we're trying to keep the studio as empty as possible, but um, we've set up a kind of makeshift studio at my father's home, basically a microphone hooked up to a computer, so he was able to do his show recently. And I will do the show Wednesday because people haven't been able to call in. I've gotten some messages about that. So Wednesday, 12 noon, I'll be doing my show live and you can call in then. Let's get into the book. So the book of the week for this week that I'll talk about on next Monday's show is The Genius of Birds by Jennifer Ackerman. And I remember when I saw this book, it might sound romantic, but I was like, this sounds amazing. And I was like, I can't wait to read it. I bought it a little while ago. But I um, wanted to read some other books for different reasons that came up. But I'm very excited to read this one and share it with you next week. The Genius of Birds by Jennifer Ackerman. Of course, it's related to birds and their intelligence, but also um, apparently I haven't started it yet, but gives us some insights into what maybe intelligence actually means or is and how actually birds are much more intelligent than many of us might have known. Uh, so I'm looking forward to reading that. I do, of course, read mostly books that are directly psychology related, but I don't want to just read psychology books. I want to add other things both for myself and for, for the listeners to get to, to hear about. So looking forward to reading that. This week's book of the week was very much psychology related and relationship related. It is Eight Dates, which was uh, written by John Gottman and Julie Schwartz Gottman. They're a husband and wife team and also joined by two other um, husband, another husband and wife team, Doug Abrams and Rachel Carlton. Abrams. And so eight dates, essential conversations for a lifetime of love. And I really loved this book. Um, I thought I would because I like the Gottman's work when it comes to marriage. Uh, there's a very famous book by John Gottman, The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. Also highly recommend that one for anyone just in general, but especially if you're in a marriage or relationship. Um, but they've done a lot of research, decades of research, looking at what makes relationships work and not work and they are some of the leaders in the field of relationships and, and marriage and so this book eight dates essentially it's um, eight dates that you go on with your partner where in each date you talk about a different important topic which they have um, found to be the eight important topics to talk about and so in general I like that idea of anything that can facilitate having conversations, important conversations, difficult conversations, because we need them in life in general, in every aspect of life, but especially in our relationships and our romantic relationships, if we do not have 
important conversations that oftentimes can be uncomfortable because they might be about important or sensitive issues, uh, we can't have a good relationship. And so uh, this book is essentially giving us a guidebook to guide you through having eight of these very important conversations or topics of conversation, I should say, because usually with any important topic, one conversation is not going to be enough. And even in a way, the goal of this book isn't to say, have these eight conversations and never talk again. They say it throughout the book that you should be having conversations throughout your life with your partner. You have to keep communicating and um, expressing yourselves to one another in order to have a good relationship. So it's a, a starting point, but also the practice of it will likely make it easier for you. One of the nice things about anything that's challenging for us is that the more we do it, the more we see it's not that scary or that it's not that hard. So once you've had a lot of difficult conversations with your partner, hopefully you'll start to see that, you know what, this is actually good. It can be tough at times. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it feels like it's worth it. Uh, one of the things I like about Gottman and their approach about relationships is they talk about the importance of the little things that Romance, sometimes when we think of romance and we think of the movies, we think of some huge grand gestures or we think of some romantic moment in front of the Eiffel Tower. And these things, of course, can be part of romance. They're not, they're not romantic. But what really builds a relationship are the small things that a couple does for one another, giving each other a little bit of attention, showing that you have the person in mind. Okay, they have a big meeting. Let me text them before and wish them good luck. Showing them that they're a priority in small, repeated ways. You build a relationship and you build all the uh, things that are important for a relationship step-by-step step with small acts of love and goodness towards your partner. And so that's something I definitely agree with. And it's something we should keep in mind because when we get very influenced or into what we see on in movies, music, social media, we think of those grand gestures, something that looks really big and nice and romantic. And we think that's the only thing that romance is, or that's what we should be trying to create in our life. And of course, those things are good and okay, but what we're looking for is more something more meaningful every day that's going on. Romance is built in the small moments, not just some big grand gestures. So I really like that uh, approach that they have when it comes to relationships. And even the idea of a date night, I always tell couples you should be dating for the rest of your life. Uh, not, okay, we date, we get married, and that's it. Because when you're dating, you are trying to understand each other better. You are curious about each other. You want to learn about each other. You are making time to connect with one another. You want to make it special. And so if you think of it that way, you realize dating isn't something that ends at marriage. It should continue for the duration of your relationship for the rest of your lives. And um, that's something they're saying you should make a date night. And there's, of course, challenges, especially once you have kids, but find that time. It doesn't have to even be a night. It can be during the day, whatever it is, but find that time to connect with each other, to have a moment of intimacy, of connection that's beyond just the day-to-day -day or whatever else is going on. And that could be very important to um, to do. And also something they mentioned at the beginning that I'm a firm believer in is true love can last, meaning that we don't fall out of love or, you know, we don't have to have a boring relationship. And a lot of times people think, well, it's lucky. Oh, those two, they're just lucky. They found the right partner. They found their soulmate. But it's not about luck. Like anything meaningful and worth having, it's about hard work. 
You have to be dedicated to having a happy relationship, to having a strong relationship. It doesn't happen by accident. You have to do the work. Part of the work is having these conversations and, of course, dedicating yourselves to one another. But don't think it's about luck. Of course, some things will always be out of your control, but the majority of it is in your hands, what you and your partner do together. If you make a commitment to each other to give time, to give attention throughout your lives, to make the other person a priority, you have a much better chance of having a love that lasts. But if you just hope it's going to happen, it won't. Um, So the beginning of the book, it talks about some guidelines. It gives a few pointers of things to be aware of. On the dates, of course, be open-minded. Don't judge your partner. Asking open-ended questions is very important. If you want to have a conversation that's really getting deep uh, into what's happening for your partner, you can't just say, well, do you like that? Then they're going to say yes and no, it ends. But um, you can try to be more open-ended in how you ask things and even give a list of things like open-ended questions. What are you feeling? Um, What do you really wish for? What are the feelings you are afraid to even think about, what mixed feelings do you have, and a bunch of other ones. And of course, you have to say what feels natural to you, but you want to use open-ended questions. You want to, of course, be non-judgmental. And then they have a whole small chapter devoted to just listening, which is so important because we think of these conversations, we usually think of, well, what do you say? But of course, essentially half the conversation is listening. You have to be um, giving your partner full attention, again, not being judgmental, making them feel safe, making them feel comfortable, and not just focusing on what you are going to say next. Oftentimes when we're listening, we're not really listening. We're so focused on, okay, well, what am I going to say in response? But we don't have to say something so quickly back. We can be more patient and show our partner, whoever we're listening to, that what they're saying is so important that we're taking it in. And actually, I'm going to read a book soon, um, It's on the list of books I have. Uh, I think it's called You're Not Listening, but it's about listening and how we all could benefit from improving our listening skills. So a little bit of a guidelines there before you get into the dates. And so again, the eight dates, they even give suggestions for places you can go to have the date, some things to keep in mind when it comes to having the date. And then each chapter starts with some uh, few pages on that topic and then some questionnaires and things. So this is a an interactive type of a book. Um, They even recommend you and your partner both get a copy so you can read the chapters, answer the questions, come to the dates prepared to talk about the topic. And I highly recommend that. And it's not just for people who just started dating or newlyweds. It could be for anyone. So if you're just dating, it can be good once you're serious. Of course, if you're engaged, planning to get married, and even if you've been married for a while, it's it can help facilitate getting to know one another better. So the first date is actually about trust and commitment. And I thought that makes sense. And it's interesting because that's essentially the foundation of your relationship. If you don't have uh, trust, you can't have a relationship. You need that as a foundation. And trust, of course, when we think of trust, the first thing that often comes to people's mind is infidelity. So can I trust you not to cheat in the relationship, which of course is a big part and would be a huge break and maybe the biggest break of trust. But there's many other things. And so uh, they talk about how trust is built also like romance and love in the small moments. Do you keep your word? Are you on time? Do you make even small lies or big lies? But there's many ways that we show our partner that they can count on us 
which is not just about fidelity. Of course, it includes that, um, but it also includes many other things, taking steps in the wrong direction that are very important. So this chapter gets into what does trust and commitment mean to us. People also have different ideas and conceptions of what trust looks like in a relationship uh, or what commitment looks like in a relationship. So it's important to talk about those things. I don't think they mentioned it specifically, but for example, some people will say, well, flirting is okay because that's not cheating. Personally, I think it's not okay. Uh, It leads to other things. It shows some things are on your mind, but most important is for you and your partner to talk about, as in all things, what trust includes and doesn't include as far as your relationship because you have to both be okay with whatever you guys do and don't do. Um, An important thing they brought up was about what they call negative comps. Um, And that means comps as in comparisons. And they said one step that almost always is before any type of betrayal are these negative comparisons where you compare your partner with other people. Okay, that person's better looking or better this or, oh, that guy wouldn't nag me so much or that girl with this or whatever it might be but when we start doing that we're getting to a very bad place we're going down a bad road Um, because rather than recognizing what we're unhappy about in the relationship and saying let me tell my partner what I'm not happy about you're essentially seeking it outside and of course with negative comparisons if you want to find someone who's more anything than anyone you can find that so if you want to find someone more handsome or beautiful than your partner richer smarter whatever it is you can find them and so just that mindset alone is not going to be good comparing uh, sometimes i tell people you know in therapy they'll say you know i wonder if i could have found someone better than my husband or better than my wife and my answer is for sure you could have found someone better than your husband or your wife If we look at every human being on planet Earth, can we say you definitely picked the best partner for you? Probably not, if we're going to be realistic. But that's not what a relationship is about or really life is about. You find someone who you are compatible with, who you love and you fall in love with, and together you create the best relationship you can have, not you're supposed to look around the world and spend your whole life and at 90 years old figure out who the right partner was for you. You create a life with someone that you fall in love with, And that's your partner. And rather than focusing on, is there someone better? You should be focusing on how can I make this relationship better and as good as it can be. And related to that, they have uh, a kind of a title within the chapter called jumping in with two feet that I liked. And it's that concept of when you're really committing to someone, you're jumping in with two feet. You don't have one foot in one foot out, or you're not kind of just putting your toes in, seeing if it's okay, but also keeping your eyes out for other things or what else is out there you're really jumping in and the analogy he uses from alice in wonderland where he she jumps in two feet without really knowing what was going to be on the other side but that we have to do that in our relationships there's no guarantee that things will work out but if you don't commit to it fully there's no way that it really will work or get to where it can be and so that's the first chapter which i really enjoyed was on trust and commitment and i think it's so important and again means so much more than just fidelity or or infidelity, but there's so much more going on. Do you make me feel special? Do you make me feel like a priority? Um, All those types of things. So that's the first date. And again, each date has some um, questions and exercises to do that you then exchange with your partner, which is really good. Um, The second chapter after that is Agree to Disagree. Great title for a, a chapter in a book about marriage, but it's addressing conflict. And so It's not about if 
you fight, it's how you fight. You're going to have arguments. And actually, they even talk about how there's a myth or misconception that people have that a good marriage is one where they don't fight at all. And I've seen this happen where a couple comes in and said, we've dated two years or we've been together two years and we've never fought before. And I usually tell them, I'm sorry to hear that. And the reason why is that if you've never fought after two years, it means one of two things and probably both in combination is happening. One is you guys aren't that close. So if you don't get that close, you don't really rub each other the wrong way or have many feelings that are negative, right? If you just go order coffee, you might really like talking to that person, but you're probably not going to have big conflicts with that person because you guys aren't very close or very, I miss going to coffee shops right now with everything going on, but still the feeling is different than you have at the room, should be different from what you have with a romantic partner. So one, you might not be that close as in you're not letting yourselves get very close to each other in an intimate sense. And the second is that one or both of you is holding things in because of course, over the course of years, even less than that, you're going to have things come up that don't feel good. Something your partner does that you don't like, something that's happening, a feeling you have. So if you're never fighting, that's just telling us you're holding things in and that's not healthy. Uh, what's the point of conflict even they bring it up? It's not that fighting is good. It's not that when I say uh, encourage you to have conflicts, I'm not saying I want you to fight or create fights for no reason. Definitely not. But it's recognizing that conflicts are a natural part of human relationships. If you get close enough to someone, if you spend enough time and do enough things together and go through enough things together, you're going to have conflicts. And so it's recognizing that if we're going to be genuine with each other, then we have to have conflicts. And if we want to be close to it with each other, we have to be genuine. So by opening up and sharing what you're feeling and being okay with having conflict, that allows for you to actually get closer. And without conflict, you don't get as close. Uh, avoiding conflict is avoiding closeness. So this chapter gets into different topics related to how we have arguments and disagreements, how you can talk. And actually, we're getting at a commercial break, and I definitely want to talk another segment about this book because I think there was so much in there. So let me stop there on this um chapter about conflict and we'll be right back you're listening to in session with dr fatty lock we will be right back welcome back so i'm going to continue talking about the book eight dates by john and julie schwartz gottman and doug and rachel abrams so i was on the chapter which is the second date about conflict so again you need to have conflict in order to have a good relationship. Without it, you can't have a good relationship. So it's not if you fight, it's how you fight. And um, they also talk about something very interesting, which is solvable problems versus unsolvable problems. So even as a therapist, I recognize I have this bias towards thinking that, okay, if there's a problem, we're going to solve it. It can be resolved. And of course, many times this is the case, but they mentioned that the majority of um, problems that come up in a couple's relationship are actually unsolvable. And so you have to learn to be in a relationship with each other and accept some of these unsolvable problems. Because if you don't, you're just going to end up having the same fights over and over again. And what they mention is exactly that, that often when you have those types of unsolvable problems, you recognize you're having the same talk you say the same thing, the person says the same thing, and you stay stuck. And rather than try to change each other or trying to completely solve the problem, what you might have to recognize is that it's going to be unsolvable. It's going to just be a part of our relationship. And essentially, when you pick a partner, 
you pick a set of issues and you also include a set of issues that might not be able to be resolved. Now, recognizing is not always going to be clear, but just something to keep in mind that not every problem will be solved and that can be okay. Um, so I thought that was interesting and important point for couples to realize because even as I recognize uh, or recommend that you should have conversations about things, sometimes having the same talk over and over again doesn't get you anywhere. But what you want to do is when you have those unsolvable conflicts, try to get deeper into what it might represent for you or your partner. So what does that, where does that come from, that feeling? Um, if one of you is late, the other one is on time, maybe that's something you can resolve, but it probably has a deeper meaning to it that you want to, to get into. So that's the second uh, chapter. The third one is about uh, usually a topic that gets people interested. It's called Let's Get It On, about sex and intimacy. And when I talked about the books, uh, Boys and Sex and Girls and Sex, I mentioned that it's so important for us to talk about these things to our kids, but I also did a segment talking about in relationships. So often a couple will never talk about their sexual relationship. They'll just assume it's something that works out okay, or because they are so um, uncomfortable talking about it, they avoid the conversation altogether. And again, I'm all about encouraging people to have those uncomfortable conversations, and this book can help with that by giving you some level of framework and guidance that, okay, these are the questions they're asking us. It might make it easier than if you just say, okay, let's just sit down and talk about sex. Of course, you can and should do that, but this might make it easier for some people. So uh, the assumption is that sex is something we enjoy. It's natural, so it should be easy. And if it doesn't work between a husband and wife, let's say, something's wrong with them or there's a problem that can't be solved. But this is not the case. Like anything important, even though it might be natural to have the desire to be with each other sexually, doesn't mean things will just work out. So we have to have conversations about our sex life, what we like, what we don't like. And as they mentioned, a lot of times we think that should happen during sex. Of course, a lot of communication will happen during sex, but you need to have these talks outside of sex as well or outside of the bedroom. And so they're giving people that uh, recommendation. Now, Sometimes people wonder, well, are we having enough sex? And that is a subjective question. People do wonder, how, what are the neighbors doing? It's just a curiosity we have. But often it's because we're not sure if we're good or bad or doing it right. But what's most important are, is, are both people satisfied in the relationship. So you want to talk with your partner. If you both want three times a week, that's fine. If one wants one and the other wants you know, five times a week or whatever, there's difference. That's where you might have to... Uh, discuss things to figure out some kind of a connection or way to resolve that. But there's not a one set amount that everyone should be having sex this much. So don't think you have to meet some standard. What you should be focused on is a relationship between the two of you and if you're both happy with that. So uh, this chapter, again, helps people have the difficult conversation related to sex, which many people uh, avoid. What was interesting is they also talked not just about sex and all the parts that we think about sex, but also about things like kissing. And they recommended kissing each other for even, they said, six seconds each time you see each other, even if it's just been, you know, a few minutes or hour, giving each other a long six-second kiss, they said will help keep passion alive. Now, exactly if that's the case, I don't know, but I think it's uh, an interesting one. And one to recognize sometimes we think of sex as just what happens in the bedroom or just intercourse, oral sex or whatever it might be. But your sexual relationship and the sensual relationship you have with one another, that physical connection, isn't just 
about sex. It could be about kissing, cuddling, caressing, massaging, other things that you can do um, to help keep your sex life alive. And actually, sometimes people who are having anxiety around sex, so uh, this could lead to issues um, for the male or the female. If there's anxiety around sex, one of the things you can do is to take the pressure off and you'll even tell a couple, for example, to be in the bed together naked, but to not put the pressure of having sex. Unfortunately, sometimes sex becomes about performance, about having it go a certain way, about satisfying your partner or you being satisfied or whatever it is, and that pressure can actually take away from the spontaneity and enjoyment of a sex life which you're going for. So they talk about different types of touching as well to keep in mind, and especially they recommend kissing, which I thought was interesting. Uh, now the next chapter... Um, is about work and money. And so this is one of the most common things that couples fight about, and especially one of the most common ones that can lead to divorce. So it's very important to have conversations about money. How do you want to spend? How do you want to save? Uh, and like all of the different chapters, it could be very important to look at your childhood to better understand your relationship with money based on how it was uh, experience as a child. Maybe you experienced poverty as a child and that could lead to you being afraid to spend and always worried about money. Or you might have experienced poverty as a child and now you feel like you uh, never want to say no to yourself or say no to your kids and you always want to spend. So you want to try to look a little bit deeper and not just say, well, I'm this way or that way and try to go a little bit deeper about what it is you really um feel about money? What does it bring up for you? Money is not just this thing. It brings up feelings of safety, of independence, of power, uh, of ability, of a whole bunch of things. And so we want to look at what does money mean to each of you. They also recommended not getting too much into the dichotomy of, okay, one of you is a spender and one is the saver and make it that black and white. Because usually it's not the case that it's going to be that black and white. And recognize there's going to be different feelings you have about spending in different ways. And of course, the chapter also is work and money. So it's about work, how much we're going to work, what is that going to look like? Even it can include things like housework and how we're going to split things like that up. And within this chapter, especially for me, what's important is to remember your um, the gender roles that might have. If you're in a, sex, a heterosexual relationship, there might be certain expectations you have as a man or as a woman for either you or your partner that can be important for you to acknowledge and also share with your partner. Maybe as a man, you might have these feelings that you have to be the primary breadwinner and then your partner might not have that feeling. So it's important to look at these kinds of things and have those conversations with your partner. Again, there isn't exactly a, a right and wrong that it should be this way or should be the other way. What's important is that you and your partner are on the same page, and in order to get in the same page, you have to then, um, first of all, communicate that to one another. So the next chapter is about uh, having a family, and this is a very important uh, topic. To first and foremost, make sure you both are on the same page with this too. Do you both want kids or you don't want kids? And of course, then you can get to how many kids. But first, you have to make sure you both are on the same page with that. And they mention, as I always tell people, don't assume you're going to convince your partner. If your partner says you don't, they don't want kids and you do want kids, don't think, well, I'll marry them. And then once we're married, I'll change their mind. That's not a good way to go. It's very risky. And you could end up being very upset, disappointed, while your partner told you exactly what they wanted.
Now, um, it also is important to talk about how many kids you want. And some people want one, some people want a big family. And again, this can go back to their own families. Maybe uh, you were an only child and you never want your kid to be without a sibling. So you want to have many kids, or maybe you had a big family and it was too much and the opposite, or you had a big family and you loved it and you want to have that. So again, you want to go back and look at your own childhood and your experience um, to try to understand what you uh, want and also to see if you can be on the same page with your partner. And again, ideally you would just say, I want this. And your partner says, I want the exact same thing. And it's very easy, but that's usually not how it's going to be, or especially not about everything. So be ready that sometimes you're going to disagree or want different things, but that's where you have to communicate and talk about things. Um, an important topic here was also that very often you can see a dip in marital satisfaction after you have the first kid and even subsequent kids. And it can be expected, of course, it affects um, affects things like sleep and your time and all sorts of different things, which of course is going to have effect on you. But what unfortunately a lot of parents do is, of course, your kids have to be a priority to a certain degree, but they forget that your partner was your primary priority. And so what I actually tell parents is like, you might have your kid is coming, but you have to always remember that your relationship, your marriage is your first child. Your child that you're going to bring to this world is now the second one, because you can't ignore that first child, which is your relationship. Because if you ignore anything that's living, you are going to have it die. It's going to die over time. And that's what a lot of couples see. They get so preoccupied with their child that they forget one another. And you can never do that. You always have to remember your partner and remember your relationship. You need to have date nights even after the fact. Uh, again, it doesn't have to be you go out somewhere. Maybe you even have it at home. You find a time to make it your date nights, but you don't lose that feeling of romance for one another. Of course, you're raising this kid together, but you also want to continue raising your love in the sense that making it grow. We can never forget that. So I thought that was an important point that they really made clearly that you don't want to lose sight of that. The next one is on fun and adventure. It's very important for you to have fun in your lives, have fun together. But they also mention you're not going to have exactly the same interests with everything. So um, sometimes we think we have to have exactly the same interests as our partner. What if they really like this and I don't like it at all? And actually John and Julie Gottman, they, they share a lot about their relationship throughout the book. They have stories about what they experience. And Julie, uh, the wife in the relationship, she loves to actually go outdoors and do adventurous things. Like she wanted to climb Mount Endress or Everest, or at least get pretty high. And John doesn't like those things at all. The husband in the relationship, he is much more, he'd rather be around books and, and things and stay inside than to go do these adventures. Sounds almost crazy to him, but they found kayaking where it was okay enough for him, but still gave her some of that outsideness that she wanted in the adventure. And so they were able to do that together. But also when she went to climb Mount Everest, she went without him and he at first was a little bit reluctant, but then she went and then he saw how happy she was. And they took a picture when they were, I think, at the highest point that they went to. And he said he has that picture framed in his, I think, office or in his room because she he had never seen her smile so big. So you want to have a need to have fun and adventure together and find ways to do that, do exciting things, do fun things. Sometimes you'll do something one partner likes more than the other. And sometimes you'll do things separately, but we don't want to lose sight of that. 
Uh, the seventh date is about growth and spirituality. So, of course, you might have a religious belief, you might not, um, or you might just have something that's more spiritual, meditation, whatever it might be. That can be important, and you might share it, and again, you might not. You don't have to even be the same religion necessarily. But also, this chapter includes growth, which is that we're always growing and evolving. So, you get married at a certain age, but you're not static people who are set in stone. You will be growing and hopefully evolving your whole life together going forward. And so it's important to keep that in mind and to allow for that too. Sometimes we are afraid of our partner growing because we might think we might lose them. And that's not very good. We have to have that space to recognize today we fell in love and we're going to continue putting our dedication and effort in loving each other. But in 10 years, we might be different people. We almost want to be. We want to be different people because we're both going to be growing, um, hopefully growing in a way that we still can be in love with each other, but we probably will become uh, very different. So um, that's an important topic. And the last one is in some ways related to this, but it's about dreams and how you want to make sure you both throughout your life um, can express your dreams in life. And sometimes you might have to take turns, as they put it. Maybe one of you wants to start a business and the other one might have to work harder while the other one maybe is starting the business or goes back to school or whatever it might be, but to not forget these things. And again, that's where we want to remember that we have to communicate to each other. We have to express it. Maybe you have a dream and you realize it's not going to be feasible, so you you give up on it, but you want to know about each other. So again, highly recommend this book um, to anyone, especially if you're in a relationship, but even if you just want to uh, see some things about uh, love and relationships. Eight Dates by John and Julie Schwartz, Gottman and Doug and Rachel Carlton Abrams. Highly recommend the book. You need to talk to your partner. You need to communicate. You have these eight dates where you have some important conversations. But of course, your whole life should be about communicating and connecting and learning about one another. Your partner is a puzzle just like you are, an enigma that has many different sides to it and you can spend the rest of your life getting to know each other and of course growing together and then as far as when you grow more there's more to know as well so um, i love this book because it helps people have those conversations highly recommend it let's go into our last commercial break we'll be right back back. So talked about the book Eight Dates. And as I mentioned, highly recommend it to anyone, especially if you're in relationships. Someone just asked about if you're a separated couple. Of course, if it's your goal is reconnection, um, I think it actually can be great because I think most people have not had these conversations or have not really had enough conversations. So I know there's lots of ways to connect that we need to do. It's not just about talking. Sometimes too much talking can be a problem too, especially if it's done in a bad way or if one or both of the, the couple don't feel good about having those conversations. But what I see in my office as a therapist, individuals and of course couples as well, is that they're not having enough conversations. We're not talking about things. And so for me... A lot of marriages have ended when I see relationships because of unhad conversations or even lots of divorces have happened because of conversations that were not had or infidelity has happened as what I meant to say because of conversations that are not had. And let me give you an example of how that happens. And it'll be simplified to an extent, but um, 
the themes will be pretty accurate. So we um, find a couple and let's say the wife or the husband is unsatisfied in that relationship. And they're unsatisfied, but they don't know how to bring up that they're unsatisfied or whatever it is they're unhappy about. And what's interesting to me is sometimes the reason why they don't or how they might trick themselves is, well, I don't want to hurt my partner by saying I'm not feeling good about whatever is, is the topic. I don't, I don't want to bring it up to hurt, not hurt their feelings. And so we think we're being nice. And actually, to me, nice is actually a very bad word. Um, I've talked about it a few times on the show that nice is actually a really bad thing. It sounds like a pleasant word, but when we're nice, we avoid conflict, we people please, we do things other people like, and we generally are not being genuine to ourselves. So nice is not good. So if you're being nice to your husband or your wife and by saying, I'm not going to bring up um, the thing that I'm upset about or not happy about, that's actually being mean to your partner, maybe the meanest thing you can do. Because the funny part, not funny, but I guess it's kind of laughable in the, when you look at the logic and how things can work out, and again, it's a little simplified, is, okay, I don't want to bring up this issue because I think my partner will be hurt by it, but because I hold on to it, I get more distant from them. And because I hold on to it, I don't feel happy, I don't feel satisfied in the relationship, I might even be more likely to be with someone else, to then cheat on them, which is the most hurtful thing, essentially, you can do in a relationship. So we tell ourselves we avoid the conversation to be nice, almost like we're being good to our partner, but absolutely you're not. You're not being kind to your partner when you hold things in. And again, if you're trying to be nice to them, it might lead to you doing something horrible to them, like having an affair. Uh, sometimes you'll see it happen in a relationship. People are unhappy. They don't feel good. They're like, I don't like this. I'm not feeling good. My partner doesn't make me feel good. Whatever the case might be. And what you start to do is they feel like I almost have a right to be with someone else. I feel stuck in this relationship. It doesn't feel good. I have to be with this partner. You don't have to be. You can leave or deal with the, the relationship. And they almost feel like they should have permission to be with someone else. I know it sounds like, oh, who would think that way? But very often, this is the way people think. They think, oh, like, I don't need to. This person doesn't make me happy anyway. And that's, of course, one of the cliches when people have an affair. They say, oh, me and my wife or me and my husband, we've been out of love for so long or we don't even sleep in the same bed or we don't have sex together or we're not close or whatever it is. There's always that. And of course, sometimes uh, there is obviously truth to that. Um, and it's not that you just have permission because that's happening. You're not off the hook. That's actually what this book and when I talk about having conversations is you have to do the more difficult thing. The easier thing is to avoid. And that's what most of us do in so many areas of our life. We avoid things. We avoid the harder thing. We avoid working hard. We avoid difficult conversations. We avoid going to the doctor. We avoid the things that can make us anxious or uncomfortable. But almost always that avoidance is going to lead to a bigger problem down the line and not dealing with it effectively. So if you avoid telling your partner that you're not happy about something, be aware that that's actually something mean. Don't trick yourself into thinking, oh, I'm such a good wife. I'm so patient. I'm such a good husband. I don't let my wife know I'm upset with her or let her know I'm upset about what's happening. One of the most loving things you can do to your partner or do for your partner is to share something you're upset about or saying it even in a way that's simplified. Complaining is sometimes the most loving thing you can do to your partner. Now, I don't mean complaining as in nagging about something small or trying to say something to hurt your partner's feelings out of nowhere.
But I mean actually complaining is in something inside of you doesn't feel right. That can be a huge act of love because through that sharing is how you can create closeness with your partner. And from that withholding, you're going to create space and distance between you and your partner. There's no other way around it. If you're holding things back, it's going to create more and more space between you and your partner. You have to tear down those walls and take those risks. So we have to not let ourselves off the hook. When you're not happy about something, it's your responsibility to bring it up. And that's another issue. Sometimes we, because we're uncomfortable about it, because we feel maybe bad about it, we hope our partner will guess. But we can't wait for our partners to be mind readers. They're not going to be. So if you are upset about something, it's up to you to tell your partner, not up to them to figure out. And sometimes people feel that way. Well, didn't you see that I was unhappy about this? Or couldn't you tell I was uh, not feeling good? I tried to show you. It's not up to them to read your mind. Yes, sometimes they will recognize things in you, even without you knowing it, or maybe when you're trying to show it in that subtle way. But it's up to us to express that with our partner. And it can be scary. We don't know how they're going to respond. We don't know what's going to happen. It's just like avoiding going to get a test at the doctor. Sometimes we avoid it, not because we think it's wrong, but we're afraid of the result. What if I go get a test and whatever it is you're scared of comes out? And so in our relationship, sometimes we have that feeling too. What if I bring this up and it leads to a big fight? Uh, What if I ask my wife that I have this type of need that's not uh, being met And she says, well, the hell with you, or I'm not going to do that, or that's not me, or whatever it is, and then the relationship ends, or I feel rejected. So it does take vulnerability. It is a risk to be open and to be vulnerable. But without that openness, we can't have good relationships. And when I look at the majority of people, you see a strong lack of this openness. They are not very open and connected with each other. Yes, they might be even best friends, they might have a good relationship, but very often so much is being hidden from each other. They're holding things in. And taking that risk, again, it is scary. It can be something that's hard to do, but it's the only way we can have a good relationship. The analogy I like to use for this about the risk of a relationship, the risk of intimacy, about being open and being vulnerable, it's like climbing a mountain. And it's interesting, I was saying there was that story about Um, Julie Gottman and how she wanted to climb Mount Everest, but climbing a mountain together. And so if you're on a mountain and you're very at the base of the mountain, you really can't get hurt too much. If you fall, you don't fall very far, but you also don't see much either. The view is just basically the ground. But if you do the hard work of climbing that mountain together, of being open, of being vulnerable, of having conversations and conflict together that might not feel good in the moment, but allows you to become closer. If I know what's bothering you, I can then, first of all, understand you better. And secondly, do something about it. And when you see me understand you better and do something about it, you will feel closer to me too. And we'll build that bond together. So if we take those risks, you go higher and higher up that mountain together. And it's scary because Each step you go up, it's also scarier because you can fall further. And that's another reason why people avoid intimacy is, of course, it's risky and scary to get there, but it's also scary because you feel like you can fall more. Of course, if you go on one date with someone, hopefully you won't be too brokenhearted, but if you've been with someone many years and now the relationship ends, it could really hurt really bad. It cuts deep. 
And so that's the risk we take with love. Um, I like this uh, saying I saw once, something like falling in love is giving someone the power to hurt you, but trusting that they won't. Because when we fall in love, when we allow ourselves to be in love with someone and to fall in love with someone, we are opening ourselves up to get hurt. We're also allowing for ourselves to have the most beautiful connection we can have with someone. And to create that, we have to take risk. There's no good without risk on the other end when it comes to things like relationship. You can't have that um, good feeling or the depth of that good feeling. So we hopefully will take that risk with our partner step by step. And again, you don't just jump on top of the mountain. You build that trust, build that connection with each other step by step, day by day, the whole years hopefully that you are together. And if you are able to do that, then you can get to that mountaintop together and then you see that beautiful view. You get to enjoy that beauty together. And that beauty is that closeness. That's the feeling of intimacy, of connection, of being completely open with someone and for them saying, I love you. I see the good, the bad, the ugly, everything about you and probably the ugly you see that's so ugly. I don't see it so ugly as you think. And I accept you and I love you and vice versa. That's what we should be striving towards. And the only way we can create that is by taking those risks. And the only way we can do that is by being open and connecting and communicating. And so I hope you will keep that in mind in your relationships, that if you want it to be something beautiful, something lasting, it only happens with work. It only happens with dedication. It only happens if both you and your partner are committed to each other, dedicated to each other, and willing to do the hard work and also take the risks necessary to get there. Um, so again, the book Eight Dates that I talked about today, I highly recommend it to you if you're in a relationship to open up and facilitate some conversation and communication between you and your partner. And even if you're not in a relationship, it has a lot of good insights into relationships and also will will prepare you for when you are um, trying to have those conversations or will have those conversations, hopefully with your partner. So that was Eight Dates by John and Julie Gottman and Doug and Rachel Abrams. And again, the book of the week for this week is The Genius of Birds by Jennifer Ackerman. We'll talk about that on next Monday's show. Again, Wednesday, I'll be not here in the studio where I am right now, but I'll be at a home studio so I'll be taking calls. So if you want to call in, I know I haven't been able to do that for a few weeks because of the coronavirus pandemic. We've been trying to minimize the number of people in the office at the same time. But uh, I'll be doing the show Wednesday live at 12 noon, Los Angeles time. Hope to have you tuning in or calling in then. Thank you to everyone who's listening. Thank you to Amir here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Lakwi. Have a wonderful night. <laughs>